Well, theologian and pastor John Piper calls the eighth chapter of the book of Romans the greatest chapter in the Bible. Martin Luther called it the greatest gospel of them all. William Tyndall, who was martyred for translating the Bible into English, called it the most excellent part of the New Testament. Professor Douglas Moo calls it the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. We're just going to call it the great eight. And while there are many, many empowering, wonderful, challenging, stretching, deep chapters in God's Word. Maybe you have a favorite, and sometimes what really impacts us is about kind of what season of life we're walking through. But whether whether it's the 23rd Psalm or Luke 15 or uh, many, many, many great chapters, uh, I, I think most folks who, who are familiar with God's Word have, have an appreciation uh, for Romans 8. That there is something about the, the truths and the promises that Paul kind of piles up in uh, that letter, and particularly that, that portion of the letter that, that has spoken so powerfully to people through the years. And so what I wanted to do, uh, just as we kind of get back into the, the, the routines of fall and school and all of those things, is just say, let's, let's just go to God's Word. Let's go to this one chapter and just drill down there for a little bit and just ask God to, to take this, this incredibly powerful portion of his word and invite him not just to speak to our heads, uh, but to speak to our hearts and to our lives. And, and maybe there'll be truths that are new for you here. Maybe there's some very familiar truths that, that God wants to, to take on that 18-inch journey from your head to your heart and, and just work it into the, the, the fabric of your being. And so that's, that's part of the hope uh, for this series that we're calling The Great Eight. And, and what I would like to do is just take a moment. I know we've already prayed uh, uh, some this morning, but if you would just uh, pray with me just for a moment and let's just let's just ask God just to, to take this series uh, and and take his word and quicken it uh, to our hearts and minds so would you pray with me as we begin father we do just thank you for the incredible gift of your word inspired preserved translated lord this word that that is so transformational in our lives. And Lord, I just ask right now that, that you would take uh, these next few weeks, that you would take this eighth chapter, as we call it, of the book of Romans. Lord, that you would just do something powerful in us. Lord, that you would just take these truths and not let them just be theological propositions, but Father, let them be life-altering truths, things that alter the trajectory of our life, alter the choices we make, the way that we think, the way that we relate. And Father, we just come and we just present ourselves before you and before your word. And we ask you to take it, to drive to the depth of our being, to quicken it to our souls. And Lord, we just ask this now with expectant faith in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. 
The eighth chapter opens up with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. In the middle are these awesome truths uh, about uh, no defeat. And that, that wonderful verse that just reminds us that we have a God who is not just with us, but we have a God who is for us. And so as we go on this journey, we're going to start where Paul starts. And that is with that, that reminder, that clarion call that there is no condemnation. Let me read aloud the first four verses and encourage you to follow along. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There's so much uh, in, this, uh, in this chapter, even in these first few verses, but I want to just begin right at the, at the fr- front and just come to understand that if from the get-go in this chapter, there is a truth that we're called to believe, a, a truth that we're called to believe. And there, there's just kind of a stack of, of powerful words there. Now, this is, this is something present tense. This is something that is now a reality in the life of every follower of Jesus Christ. It's not just a futuristic thing, but it's a right here, right now thing, something that's happened. Now, therefore, and all that he's going to talk about in this chapter is based on everything he's been talking about for seven chapters, all of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And then he uses the word no. And no, we read it, and no is kind of in English. It's a word we use to express kind of a a wide range of negative, right? I mean, from a real mild, no, I don't want any salt, no, I don't want any gravy, thank you very much, to to no, something that we're really passionate about. But in the Greek, there's there's much more nuances to the language. And in the Greek, what you find here is that the word no, it's actually a compound word, not just the simple no, but a compound, which which says this this is a very, 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 very strong negative. And then even in the sentence structure itself, this word is put at the first of the sentence in the Greek indicating of its primary importance. And with all of that, Paul is trying to communicate with the language that he was using that the most powerful negative he possibly could. No, absolutely not, no way. There is no possible condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to that pivotal word of, of condemnation or, or condemn. And if we can go just uh, Webster on you here for just a minute, we'll uh, pull out the, some dictionary definitions. To condemn is to declare to be reprehensible, wrong, or evil, usually after weighing evidence and without reservation. An example, a policy widely condemned as racist. Another uh, nuance of definition would be to pronounce guilty, to convict. And with that is even the idea of carrying out a sentence and doom. So to condemn a a prisoner to die would be a a usage of that. And as you think about kind of the, the, the Webster description there, you think about how all of that describes what the Bible says is true about me and true about you apart from Jesus Christ. 
That when God looked at the evidence of our sin, what he understood in his holiness and his perfect justice, that we were reprehensible, that we were wrong, that, that we, were, we were evil, and that without reservation we were justly stood condemned. And, and he was just and fair and right to pronounce us guilty and convict us. And our right sentence, the fair thing to do is to sentence us to, to a, a Christless eternity, to be separated from the love of God uh, throughout eternity. That's, that's what Paul had been building the case. That's what the scripture says. That is my condition left alone. But praise God, I am not alone if I am in Jesus Christ. If I am in Jesus Christ, there is now, presently, and forever, no condemnation, no guilt, no sentence of doom, no, no conviction. I have been set free from all of these things. But what I have found through the years of, of my own life and in walking with people is that very often we still feel condemnation. Even if we have a, a faith in Christ, that we still sometimes experience the, that, that condemnation. And I think one of the reasons that we do is that we oftentimes confuse condemnation with some other things that are still going to be true in our lives, even as followers of Jesus Christ. And so I want to make sure that we understand some differences and distinctions along the way. When the Bible says there is no condemnation, uh, it is absolutely true, but it doesn't mean that some of these other things won't be present in our life. See, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. When Jesus was teaching about the, the Holy Spirit, he talked about that he was the Spirit of truth. Look at John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Well, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? The Holy Spirit is always going to bring truth into the situation. If you can think about it, he is always going to drop kind of the plumb line, if you will, of truth, God's truth, into the middle of our life. And what's going to happen is, if there are any areas of my life or yours that, that, that aren't square, that aren't in line with that plumb line of truth, then we're going to experience that deviation. We're going to experience the, the conviction of that. And that conviction is not a negative thing. That conviction is an invitation to return to the standard, to return to the plumb line, to align my life with the standard of God's truth. But what can happen and where we get twisted up is, is when that plumb line gets dropped into the middle of our thinking, or the middle of a circumstance, the middle of our life, and we, we find we're at variance. Instead of understanding that is God's gracious call to return, uh, we understand that sometimes as, as being condemned. But it's not condemnation, it's conviction. And with that conviction, there's an invitation, return. Return to the standard. Return to what God knows is the best way for you to live your life. There is a huge, huge, huge difference between condemnation and conviction. But if you don't know that, when you begin to experience the spirit of truth moving, you're going to feel conviction, and sometimes you're going to interpret that as I am being condemned. 
condemned. There is no condemnation. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. There's a difference between condemnation and uh, consequences and consequences. And again, this is one that I find sometimes people get mixed up on. They think, well, if I'm not condemned, then, then I won't experience these consequences. If I, these things won't happen in my life. But that's not what the Scripture says. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Just because I'm a follower of Christ doesn't mean I'm set free from consequences of my choices, right? I mean, let's just face it. Even if you're a follower of Christ, if you eat a thousand calorie dessert every day this week, you're very likely to gain weight, are you not? I mean, I don't care how much you pray. You're going to gain weight because of this. You sowed that way, and that's what you're going to reap. And we're not set free from that along the way. I know in, in parenting, I had read, uh, I'm not even sure where I first read it, but uh, it just seemed to make sense to me, so I tried to help it make sense to my kids. Uh, but we tried to talk about a, a stick. And, and the, the lesson was when you pick up one end of the stick, you always pick up the other end of the stick. And, and that, that, you know, it's connected. And sometimes when we're just picking things up, we're just seeing this end of the stick. But you always got to look down to the other end of the stick because there's, there's a connection. And whenever you pick up one end of the stick, you always pick up the other end of the stick. So make sure you like the other end of the stick before you pick it up, right? Because the two are connected and you get one when you pick the other. And the same is true in my life and yours. There is no condemnation, but there are inevitable consequences. If, if I make wise choices, if I sow things that are in alignment with that spirit of truth, I reap the benefit in my life now and through all eternity. But if I make another set of choices, I'm going to experience the other end of the stick. I'm going to experience those consequences. And again, sometimes when somebody's experiencing consequences, they feel like, wow, I'm under condemnation or, you know, God's out to get me or what? No, 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 no. You just sowed. And now you're reaping. It's not about condemnation. It's just about consequences. Condemnation and consequences are different. But also, and these kind of all tie in together, condemnation and discipline are distinct and different. They are distinct and different. The fact is the Bible tells us if you are actually in Jesus Christ, if you are a member of God's family, you will experience discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treated Treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Uh, That God loves you so much that he's going to bring discipline to bear in your life, and he has a lot of different ways to deliver that in our lives. And and we've talked about some of those uh, even in recent weeks. But, But as he brings that to bear, don't misinterpret that as condemnation, it's discipline. 
Discipline is God shaping some things in you, God forming Christ in you. Around here we talk about God's going to keep working in you until you keep let you learn to live like Jesus lived, love like Jesus loved, and leave behind what Jesus left behind. That, that, that he is going to work in you. And in order to do that, there are times that he brings discipline, whether that's just, just uh, something from his word or, or just uh, even a problem or a hardship as we talked about last week. God brings these things to bear in my life to shape my life that doesn't mean i'm condemned that is that isn't punishment that is loving discipline you've been watching the olympics i mean there's some incredible athletes right but i guarantee you the folks that are collecting medals sometimes by hundreds of a second didn't get to that podium by sitting around you know eating bonbons right i mean they work there was discipline and in exercise and diet and coaching and training and feedback and and competition all these i mean that there was incredible discipline brought to bear why because they hated these people no 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 because they wanted to draw out the best that was in them god wants to draw out the best that he has put in you and in order for that to happen there's going to be discipline don't confuse discipline with condemnation For the truth that I have to believe, the truth that you have to believe is that there is now. Therefore, in light of what Christ has done, no, absolutely no, none, no way, no how, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which leads us to the second thing that we really need to grasp in this text. And that is not only is there a truth to believe, but there is a provision to receive. There is a provision to receive. The key phrase here is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Everything flows from that. There is no condemnation, but it is for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. What what our flesh couldn't do, what a law couldn't do, what religion couldn't do, he did for us. Paul talked about it this way, to writing to the Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus Christ did for, for me, Jesus Christ did for you what uh, we could not do for ourselves. We, we did not respond to God with appropriate love. We did not respond to God in trusting, loving obedience. We walked in exactly the opposite direction. But Jesus loved like we were to love. He lived and obeyed like we were to live and obey. And then he voluntarily died, taking on my sin and your sin so that he could offer to us forgiveness, right standing before God, no condemnation. But it is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Please understand, when you look at the Scripture, when you look at the New Testament in particular, there are, in the end, two categories of people. There are two categories of people, and that's not rich and poor. That's not male and female. That's not Clemson and Carolina. You know, I I mean, there, there are two categories of people. There are those who are in Christ Jesus, and what's true about everyone in Christ Jesus is there is no condemnation. No condemnation. 
The second category are those who are not in Christ Jesus. And those who not, uh, are not in Christ Jesus actually are under condemnation. They are under condemnation. Please understand that condemnation is right, it is just, it is fair. But that is, that is the status. That is, that is where they are living now and left unchecked for all eternity. One category or the other. But that God did for us in Jesus Christ, again, what we could not do for ourselves, and he invites us to respond to that, to receive that. So John's gospel, the very first chapter, opens this way. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Understand what he's saying here. That there was this, this group of people, this, the, the Jewish people, that they, they, had, they had the heritage, like some of you have a religious and spiritual heritage. They had the religion. They had the book. They had so much going for them. And yet when God in the flesh came to them in Jesus Christ, they did not receive him. And if you do not receive him, know Jesus Christ under condemnation. Please hear me. Please hear my heart. You can be religious and be under condemnation. Your parents or your spouse can be the most godly people in the world and you be under condemnation. You can have your name on a church roll and be under condemnation. You can have been baptized and confirmed. You can even be serving and be under condemnation. Because what is the distinction between condemned and not condemned, is in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus Christ. And so one of the the, the prayers, particularly for this morning, although it's a prayer for any morning that we gather, is, Lord God, just help us, help every person that walks in and out of this room to clearly know where they are, clearly to know not if they're religious or irreligious, not if they're a good neighbor or a good moral person and those are wonderful things. But are we truly in Jesus Christ? Do we understand that there's nothing we could do on our own to be made right with God, nothing we could do to get out from under the sentence of condemnation, but that Jesus did for us in his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, for us what we could have never done for ourselves. And he asks us to respond, to receive him, to acknowledge our need, to ask him to be not only the forgiver and uh, uh, savior of our life, but to be the leader and Lord, the rightful king. And so I'm just going to ask you, part of my prayer this morning is, Lord, if there's those who are in this room right here, right now, Lord, that they would not leave this room the same way they walked in. If they walked in under condemnation, that they would receive Jesus Christ and walk out with no condemnation. There is a powerful, powerful, powerful truth to believe that there is therefore now no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it is connected to the provision that you have to receive, and that is in Christ Jesus. And once that provision is there, then there is a liberation to live from. There is this liberation to live from, and we're going to be looking at this even, even a little bit more in the, in the weeks ahead. But, but he talks about the fact that if we are in Jesus Christ, we have been set free. He has set you free in Christ Jesus, that there is this liberation that has taken in place that has been affected on your behalf. Please understand, and we're going to, again, this is one of those themes we'll come back to throughout this, this chapter. If we are truly in Jesus Christ, we have been set free. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. No condemnation. No condemnation. That, that sentence is not going to be pronounced or delivered or carried out in my life because it's been carried out on Jesus Christ. There is no penalty. I've been set free from the penalty of sin. But the parallel truth is I have also been set free from the power of sin. That I have been set free from the power of sin. I, I love the way that Paul talked about it just a couple chapters earlier in this same letter, Romans 6. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You're not under the law, but under grace. So hear this truth, hear this liberating truth that you and I are to live from. Not only is there no condemnation, but there is no dominion. That if I am in Jesus Christ, I have not only been set free from the penalty of sin, but I have been set free from the power of sin. It no longer has to rule and reign in my life. It no longer has dominion over me. Now, whenever you teach that, some minds get to churning. And they say, well, if I've been set free, does that mean I can live any old way I please? When the reality is, we've been set free not to live in any old way we may please, but to live in the best of ways, those ways that fully please God. That when, when this exchange has taken place, that something begins to happen at the core of our being. And we're not going not gonna to live any longer according to the flesh because it will no longer have dominion over me. But I begin to understand that, that I have been set free to live in those ways that bring pleasure to God, that please God. Paul, writing to the Philippians, put it this way, For it is God who works in you. If you are in Jesus Christ, God is at work in you, both to will... So you begin to have different desires, different inclinations, and to work for his good pleasure. So God is at work within me, not just to do what I, as I would have pleased in my flesh as I would have before Christ entered in, but now he is at work within me so that increasingly I begin to desire and have the capacity to do those things that please God. Now, carrying this truth forward, in one sense, you could fairly say, I'm set free to do as I please because God, it starts to work in you so that more and more you please to do what pleases God. 
You see, I've become more and more convinced through the years that if I knew what God knew, I would always, always want what God wants. If I knew what God knew, I would always, always, always want what God wants. Because he's smarter than me, <laughs> you know? And I know that comes as no surprise to, to some of you. You think, well, there's a lot of folks smarter than you, Jeff. You're right. I got news for you. He's smarter than you, too. Smarter than you, too. And if you knew what God knew, you would always want what God wants. You would always choose what God would choose for you. I am more and more convinced, more convinced today than ever before, that my life works best and your life works best when it is aligned with God's design. And when I begin to have that truth not only floating around my head occasionally, but driving into my being and my heart, more and more I begin to desire to do what pleases him. Because I know it not only pleases him, but I also know it is absolutely what's best for me. See, here, here's the message of the gospel. Here's the message of Romans 8. It's not just you've been set free from a penalty, but you've been set free from a power. You've been set free to live an entirely different way. The gospel makes possible a brand new way of life, a, a way of life that's lived in holiness and abundance in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you and I have been set free to live life aligned with God's design. And that, that truth becomes liberating so that I begin to understand I don't have to live that way anymore. And sometimes we try to excuse ourselves. That was the way I was raised. That's just how I am. That, that, that's just how I learned how to do it, or that's how I learned how to relate, or I've just had this habit for a long time. That's who you used to be. But that doesn't declare who you are now or who you will be. For there is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The truest thing about me is what God says about me, and God says that if I am in Jesus Christ, I have been set free. I have been set free from condemnation. I have been set free from domination, that sin will no longer have dominion over me. I can choose to live differently because I am different in Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Jeff, that all sounds great, but man, it, Monday's coming and, and I'm going to be here and here and going to face this and face that. And, and I'm, how in the world? Do I live out that reality? Well, that's probably uh, a series or two of messages to end that, but let me just at least give you a starting place. As we begin to think about living out the reality of no condemnation, no domination, that I have been liberated in Jesus Christ from both the penalty and the power of sin, first and foremost, I have to understand uh, a connection. And the connection is that as a follower of Jesus Christ, Every spiritual reality is also a spiritual responsibility. Every spiritual reality is also a spiritual 
responsibility. So that I have, have this responsibility. If, if the reality is there is no condemnation, there is no domination in Jesus Christ, I have been set free from the penalty and the power of sin, then, then the responsibility I have now, a spirit-empowered responsibility, but a responsibility nonetheless is to live in light of my new identity, to live in light of my new reality, and, and to live that out every single day. And in order to do that, I need to begin in the beginning. I need to recognize and receive Jesus Christ as rightful Lord and Savior. I, just, I, I, I have to recognize who he is and who I am. And the only way to be right with him and the only way to live the best life possible with him and before him is in Jesus Christ. And again, I'm, I'm just going to say to you today, I'm praying for God's spirit to stir. And for some of you in this room this morning, before you leave this room, I'm going to just ask you to make your way back to a connect room at the end of our service and let, let one of our folks sit down with you for just a moment and, and take you from God's word and show you what it means to be in Jesus Christ what it means to recognize his rightful place as not only your rescuer and savior, but your sovereign, but your Lord. And I just, that, without that in place, everything, everything else is not going to help. Recognize and receive Jesus Christ as your rightful savior and Lord. And then as, as one who has been set free, memorize and meditate. Memorize and meditate upon the truth of this scripture. In fact, is I just want to encourage you as we go into this series, and we're going to go through, and there's just some powerful, powerful verses in Romans 8. And I'm just going to encourage you, would you just latch on to some of these? And even if it's just for a week, for a week, I'm going to keep it on a note card. For a week, I'm going to keep it on my computer screen or on my phone or however, wherever, or on my refrigerator, wherever it is, you'll see it a lot. But just to keep it front and center, keep it before you, just write it out. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And see if that can just begin to saturate your mind, saturate your thinking, because that'll be so incredibly vital to empower you to live live this out so that you memorize and meditate. And even as you're doing that, I want to encourage you to praise, to praise God regularly for this reality in your life through Jesus Christ. There is something about praise that unleashes truth in our life so that I begin to say, God, I just praise you. I thank you. I thank you that I'm not the same person. I thank you, God, that you have set me free from the penalty of sin. God, I thank you today that because of what you did in Jesus Christ, I do not stand under condemnation today. God, I just want to praise you that you have set me free from, from the power of sin, that, that sin will no longer have dominion over me, that I don't have to live that same old way, that I can live in the very best way because you have set me free. And you just praise God for that reality. There is something empowering even as we praise God it's an act of faith it's an act of obedience it's an act of just worshiping him and then as you do that you just have to you trust you trust in the present empowerment of the holy spirit please don't walk out of here and say jeff said we got to grit our teeth and try harder because you'll come back next week just more frustrated <laughs> because the enemy doesn't want you to know or live out this truth 
But just to, just to recognize, God, I'm not operating in the flesh. I'm not operating under the old system. I'm not operating under the law. Do the best you can in your own strength. But now I have been sealed. Now I have indwelled. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more next week. But, but I have this empowering of the Holy Spirit just to trust this is true about me. Even if I wake up groggy on Monday morning, right? Uh, This is still true about me in Jesus Christ. Trust in the present empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And then you act. You just begin to act in light of your new identity. This is true about me. And if this is true about me, this is the way I talk. This is the way I act. This is the way I handle problems. This is the way I relate to people. Because this is true about me. And I know that the Holy Spirit is going to empower me to more and more and more live that out. So that I begin to to, to act as if it's true because it is. It is true about me. To the Colossians, he he encouraged Paul, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is such an important verse, and again, one that we misunderstand. How did you receive Christ? By gritting your teeth and trying harder? No, 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 no. You came to understand truth, and that's by God's grace. That truth by grace touched your life. And you believed it to be true. By grace, through faith, that became operative in your life. How do I live every single day in Christ? I encounter his truth. By grace, through faith, I walk in accordance. So that I, 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 that's why you go back, memorize, meditate, saturate, praise, because you need to immerse yourself in that truth. And then by grace, through faith, you begin to walk in it. You begin to live it out every single day. You don't do it in your own strength. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So I walk by His grace in faith that the truest thing about me is what God says about me. And I trust in the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is so, so, so important, and this is where sometimes there's a disconnect between what we know in our heads theologically and what we live out in our lives every single day. Well, let me, let me just give you this statement because I believe it to be absolutely true, and you need to follow me on this one. Say, so, Jeff, why, why are you talking about you know, memorizing and meditating and praising him and doing all this? Here's why. Because it is nearly impossible for you to consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. You say, huh? Let me say it again. It is nearly impossible, and I almost just left out the word nearly. It is nearly impossible for you to consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that you see yourself. If you do not begin to see yourself differently, if you do not begin to see yourself in alignment with the truth of God's word, you will not consistently live it out. Why do we tend to return to old patterns under pressure? Because we've been trying to kind of grit out the new pattern, but we haven't really shifted our understanding of who we are. It is nearly impossible to consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that we see ourselves. If you still have inklings that you are under condemnation, 
or you are under domination, you will not consistently live out the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. That is why it is so essential to immerse our minds in this truth, to begin by grace through faith and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live out these truths because it is nearly, 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 nearly impossible to consistently behave in a manner that is inconsistent with the way that we see ourselves. I want to close with just an illustration from the Bible. We're jumping into the 8th chapter of Romans. I want to take you to another 8th chapter. It's the 8th chapter of John's Gospel. In the 8th chapter of John's Gospel, there's a familiar story to many at the front end of that. It's a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, whether she was set up or not, folks speculate, but nonetheless, she's there. They bring her before Jesus, and the law demands punishment. She is rightfully under that law condemnation, and the crowd is ready. But this is like going to be a two-for-one, right? I mean, they're not only going to get this woman and give her just desserts, but they're going to trap Jesus too. And so they, they bring her to Jesus, stones in hand, ready to deliver execution of condemnation. And they explain the situation, and they explain the law. They say, what do you say? Many of you remember the oddest of responses, <laughs> Jesus starts drawing in the dirt. Commentators wrestled through the years. Was he doodling? Was he writing letters? Was he listing sins? We don't know. They said, let the one among you without sin cast the first stone. So here are these guys, stones in hand, arms ready to cock and deliver. And then it dawns on them. There's Jesus back on the ground, doodling in the dirt. And you start to hear. So all these stones start dropping. First the older, wiser ones who kind of catch it first, and then the others. And then eventually, they start silently slipping away. There's just this woman in Jesus. She's guilty. Deserves condemnation. And then John's gospel records for us, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And then don't miss these words of Jesus. And Jesus said, Neither do I 
condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. That's what Christ wants to say to every single one of us in the room this morning. Neither do I condemn you because I already paid for your sin. But with every spiritual reality goes a spiritual responsibility. And do not sin anymore. Don't live under the dominion of sin anymore. Don't keep sowing to the flesh. You don't have to. And if you understood what I understand, you would never want to. You've been set free. There is therefore now no condemnation for those or in Christ Jesus. See, there's some of us in the room. That still carry condemnation. Oh, God's forgiven us for this, 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 but... There was that. Actually, there was a whole season of that. And there are some of us here, and we got stuff on our resume, and we've never told another human being. Maybe not even some of those who are closest to us. But we keep picking up that baggage and lugging it around every single day. We take it with us everywhere we go. Would you hear Jesus say to you today, drop the baggage. I know, I know it better than you know it, and I died for it, and I didn't die just so you could get into heaven. I died so you wouldn't have to carry that around the rest of your life. Neither do I condemn you. Go in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And sin no more. You have been set free. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, (laughs) we come before you dressed and yet completely (laughs) naked and vulnerable. Because there is nothing that you don't know and nothing hidden from your sight. And so, Father, we just come and We will not play the game of acting like if we ignore it, it doesn't exist. Lord, we're just going to come right now and just come absolutely clean before you and acknowledge that we have no hope apart from you. 
And so, Father, I, I just pray right now, Lord, I'm asking, would you just so graciously, would you just so powerfully speak into hearts and minds right now? Father, I pray just asking that, that there are some folks that would not leave this room until they are right with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, let today be the day that they move from under condemnation to no condemnation because of the rescuing of Jesus Christ. Lord, let today be the day that they take that step to that connect true and they just open up their heart to you, Lord. Draw them to you right now. Father, I pray for many, many, many of your followers in this room right now who, Father, they still live too many moments and too many days under a cloud of of condemnation. Father, I pray the enemy is just whispering, perhaps even now, that this is not true for them. Lord, would you just remind them of the truth, that, that it is absolutely true for them. Father, I just pray, asking right now, Lord, that there be some folks it would drop some baggage. They would, they would discard some misunderstandings. Father, that they would just experience your cleansing power. They would experience the new reality of who they are in Christ Jesus. And that they would begin to live now in the present empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, thank you for what you're doing all over this worship center right now. And I'm just going to ask you as you're seated here before the throne. We've provided a little space on your note-taking guide for you just to make it very, very practical. In light of the spiritual reality of no condemnation, no domination. How are you going to live out that reality? How are you going to live out of the liberation that you have in Christ Jesus. What do you need to do? What is your next step? Just going to ask you just to write something down, a word, a phrase, an assignment, a next step. Just between you and God, you won't turn that in. Just what does that look like for you to live in light of this truth? I'm going to remind you again of our connect room and connect team.